All right, as we continue through this hour of worship, we're about to go to God's Word, and we're in the middle of a sermon series in the book of Daniel called Faithful in the Fire. If you've missed any of these, I encourage you after the service to go to YouTube, search for Bel Air Church, and get caught up on what we've been talking about. And it's this great reminder that as we go through life, there are things that can actually destroy our faith, things that can incinerate our patience, our joy, our humility, our courage, our calling that God has on our lives. And these things that incinerate us can be seen as fires. And as we move throughout life, we are taking a look at the book of Daniel and how what they encountered thousands of years ago is very similar to what we encounter today. And we're in the fifth week of this seven-week sermon series. And today we get to the fire of discernment. Because the truth is, is that as we go through life, we will find ourselves in situations where we have to make a decision. We have to have knowledge on how to proceed, on how to talk or not talk, to act or not act. And in many ways, it'd be so much easier if there was just this simple rule book. And it is actually a misperception that this is just a rule book on how to apply in every situation of your life. You know, some people have actually turned the word Bible into an acronym, basic instructions before leaving earth. And if you take that approach, you might get into scripture. And even if you memorize it, go through it, you'll find yourselves in situations where it seems like there wasn't instructions for this. What am I supposed to do here? And in fact, Jesus says to the Pharisees, you've searched the scriptures and in them you hope to find life but you've missed me. And we're going to find today that as we take a look at a really important scene in the book of Daniel, Daniel, who's been appointed to work in the king of Babylon's royal court, is faced with an impossible task. And that impossible task in many ways is very similar to the impossible tasks that we have to face in a world of, of moral ambiguity, of a uh, variety of viewpoints, of complex situations, of situations that aren't so easily just discerned as black and white, ethical choices as we move throughout life. It seems like things are getting more and more complex, not more and more simple. So if you have your Bibles, let's go to Daniel chapter 2. I'm going to read a longer section. I want to set the stage as we get into the fire of discernment. This is chapter 2 of verse 1. In the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed such dreams that his spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. So the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I've had such a dream that my spirit is troubled by the desire to understand it. The Chaldean said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will reveal the interpretation. The king answered the Chaldeans, This is a public decree. If you do not tell me both the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn. Limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you do tell me the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time. Let the king first tell his servants the dream, 
Then we can give its interpretation. The king answered, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see I have firmly decreed if you do not tell me the dream, there is but one verdict for you. You have agreed to speak lying and misleading words to me until things take a turn. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can give me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king, there is no one on earth, no one, who can reveal what the king demands. In fact, no king, however great and powerful, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king is asking is too difficult, and no one can reveal it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with mortals. Because of this, the king flew into a violent rage and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. The decree was issued, and the wise men were about to be executed. And they looked for Daniel and his companions to execute them. Then Daniel responded with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the king's chief executioner, who had gone out to execute the wise men of Babylon. He asked Arioch, the royal official, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. So Daniel went in and requested that the king give him time and he would tell the king the interpretation. This, my friends, the reading of God's word, as we say every week, thanks be to God. All right, so what's happening here? A little background. If you've missed any of these sermons and Faithful in the Fire, the, the macro historical overview is that King Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful person on the planet in the 6th century BC, has defeated the nation of Israel, and his strategy to annihilate the Jewish people is to assimilate them into Babylonian culture. He takes 10,000 men and women, leaders, influencers, the, the ruling class, the professionals from Israel, takes them to Babylon, and he wants to assimilate them into the Babylonian way of life. And if you've been with us each week, we've talked about how Nebuchadnezzar wanted to assimilate them. There was a false prophet, Hananiah, that says we should separate we should not go in. We should pray against Babylon. But God actually gave a vision through the prophet Jeremiah and says, I want you to do neither, not to assimilate, not to separate, but I want you to move in. Build houses, plant gardens, increase and not decrease. And I want you to pray for this city. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. And the book of Daniel is about four individuals for Jewish individuals who catch God's vision and they move into Babylon, they neither assimilate nor separate and they're faithfully following God in the midst of this pagan culture. And God uses them in a powerful way to transform the culture of, of Babylon from the inside out. And in the complexity of what it means to be a faithful follower in a world that has different beliefs, how to be a faithful follower of God, to have integrity and to not compromise when a lot of different viewpoints pop up. And in today's topic, how to discern, how to speak truth, how to understand when there's a variety of viewpoints and in some cases where it seems like it is impossible to move forward. You see, Daniel had risen up in terms of his respect level. 
his trustworthiness that he was considered one of the wise men of Babylon. And if you just caught when I just read, King Nebuchadnezzar is so disturbed he can't sleep. He has this dream. And what he asks has never been asked before. He doesn't even say what the dream is so that they should interpret it. He wants them to know what the dream is before he even shares it. In other words, he's asking them to read his mind. And so the interpreters, the magicians, the sorcerers, the Babylonian wise men are are overwhelmed. They know that they can't only not interpret something that they don't even know what they're talking about. They can't interpret something that they don't even know the, the broad outline of. And so he's enraged. And he gives this order that all the wise men would be killed. And that includes Daniel. And then Daniel says, give me time. Give me an audience with the king. And we will find ourselves, as we follow Jesus moving throughout life, we will find ourselves in situations where it seems like there's a variety of viewpoints, or like I said, in some cases where it's impossible to move forward. And I believe that these moments are fires. They have the potential to erode our faith. They have the potential to incinerate our joy, our our patience, our humility, our courage. And we have an opportunity as faithful followers of Jesus to be faithful in the fire. As we've talked about each week, we're not called to fear the fire. That could look like in our lives, uh, not wanting to find ourselves in situations where there's complexity. You know, one way to avoid the fire is just living a life uh, removed from everyone. Uh, Always trying to find yourself in simple situations. But when God calls you out into the world to be a light, to be a witness, to be an ambassador for Christ, you will find yourself in very, very complex situations where there's not an easy answer. So let's take a look at Daniel and what he did and what that means for us today. So it continues on. After he has requested that audience with the king, what's the first thing that he does? Verse 17. Then Daniel went to his home and informed his companions, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Let's stop right there. Now, you know Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You see, these names, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, are their Jewish names. Their names given to them by birth. And Daniel, which means God is my judge, goes home and he shares the reality with his brothers, his believers in God. And what do they do? It says this, he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions with the rest of the wise men of Babylon might not perish. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night, and Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And Daniel said, Blessed be the name of God from age to age, for wisdom and power are his. He he changes times and seasons, deposes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells within him. To you, O God of my ancestors, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and power and have now revealed to me what we have asked of you, for you have revealed to us what the king has ordered. 
Now, two quick things here before we get to the, the meat of this sermon. The first instinct is to seek God in prayer. And this massive first step is something that many of us, we, we put off to the last step. I hear so frequently people saying to me, well, I've run out of options. And as a last resort, I guess I need to pray about it. And Daniel knows that prayer is not the last resort. Seeking God's mercy is not the last resort. Seeking God's wisdom is not the last resort. It is the very first step. And so would it be, as we move through the heart of this sermon, that we would be people that don't make prayer the last step, but the first step. That we would seek God first and foremost before we begin to process things on our own, that we would immediately go to God and say, God, would you give me wisdom? Would you give me understanding? Would you guide me in this? Would you lead me in this? But then again, many of us, we do that. We do immediately turn to God in prayer. And for those of us, myself included, that do that, I read passages like this, and on the surface I say, why doesn't God reveal to me in a lightning bolt, uh, a very vivid HD picture exactly what to do. In fact, I've had many friends and, and family members and leaders in the church and people within my church family, people I've provided pastoral counseling who have come to me and said, I'm praying all I want is clarity from God. That common phrase pops up. All I want is clarity from God. I just want God to tell me exactly what to do. And what's so remarkable, when I read the scope of Scripture, there's some instances where God reveals very clearly, this is exactly what I want you to do. This is exactly what the knowledge is. This is exactly what the mystery is. That's this case. But that doesn't happen in all cases. There's some moments where people, faithful followers of God, faithful followers of Jesus, cry out to God and there seems to be silence. What are we to do? How do we discern? How do we navigate these, these difficult situations? Could it be that when we don't get the clarity like Daniel got in that moment that we are doing something wrong? Or is there something much deeper? Again, on the surface, you might interpret this as you just go to God and God will download to you everything you need to know. But it's important to take a step back and understand that Daniel wasn't going to God for the first time in his life. Because many of us, we go to God so infrequently and expect this massive download. But when you understand that Daniel was a man who was raised in the Jewish faith, who as a young child was taught the Hebrew scriptures, who was immersed in a biblical worldview, who in many ways in that point in time and in Jewish history, the teaching of the Torah, of the, the Hebrew scriptures, wasn't something that just happened once a week on Sunday at Sunday school. It wasn't just this pop in and pop out. It was a way of life. In fact, Deuteronomy 6 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Teach these things to your children day and night. Bind them on your forehead, write it on a doorpost. And there was this sense that, 
that who God is and who we are and the life that God calls us into is so expansive, is so deep, is so profound, is so multifaceted that you could talk about it every moment of every day of your life, in your eating, in your drinking, in your waking, in your sleeping, that we should allow God's word to be written on our hearts and we very clearly can believe and trust that Daniel comes to this moment as somebody who has been steeped in the teachings of the Lord. And I guarantee you that he knew the book of Proverbs. And I believe that in the book of Proverbs, there is a a way, a, a reality, a picture that helps me, helps us, helped Daniel be faithful in the fires of discernment that led him to do what he did in this passage. So there's many books that I can go to. I want to go to Proverbs. And there's many chapters in the book of Proverbs that I can go to, but I want to go to Proverbs chapter 4. If you have those Bibles, pull them back out. In Proverbs chapter 4, which I believe was something that not only Daniel had access to in Babylon, but he knew well. And in Proverbs 4, I see three things. And these are the three things that I believe you and I can apply in our life so that we can be faithful in the fires of discernment. And as we move through this, I see these three things being this. The nature of discernment, the heart of the way, and the ever-rising sun. All right, so the nature of discernment. Let me read through uh, this section of Proverbs 4. I'm going to begin in verse 10, and I'll wrap up at 27. So Proverbs 4, beginning in verse 10. Hear, my child, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of evildoers. Avoid it. Do not go into it. Turn away and from it and pass on. For they, the wicked, they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone else stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness, drink the wine of violence, But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what they stumble over. My child, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Keep straight the path of your feet and all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. In this, We see a picture, a reality, the nature of discernment that is consistent all throughout Scripture. And the nature of discernment isn't so much that it is fixed. Because some people have this belief that you are either good or you are bad. That you are wise or you are foolish. 
that you are righteous or you are wicked. And that's not the picture that King Solomon, the writer of Proverbs, gives. Uh, nor does he give the picture that it is this teleporting device, that if you just think this thing, then you will end up at some other location, either righteous or wicked. But he's saying, and I want us to catch this, and I believe that this is absolutely true to understand the nature of discernment is that it is a path. And there's this imagery that is spread throughout the entirety of Scripture that there's two paths that we can go down in life. There's the path of truth and the path of falsehood, the path of righteousness and wisdom and the path of wickedness. And when you think about a path, a path is something that you walk on. You take one step at a time, one step at a time. And it's a great reminder that the nature of discernment is not only a path, it's not only a way of life, but every step, every decision puts you in a direction. And I found that in my life, when I take small steps of obedience, it leads me a certain way, but when I take small steps of compromise, it leads me another way. And the imagery that's given here in Proverbs 4 is that when you begin to walk down the path of righteousness, these little steps of having integrity, of trusting God, of following God's leading, following God's call in your life, of seeking God's direction, will find yourself in an ability to eventually run, to move faster, to get further, to go further down the road. However, it also says that the other path, the one to avoid, is one that can cause you as you begin to step down this path to get to a place where you lack sleep. And I've seen in my own life people who are far down the paths of these two realities who confide in me. And they say, I look back on my life and I realize that it was the small decisions in my life, the decisions that didn't seem that important, the decisions that uh, perhaps were in private, the decisions that seemed to not have that much consequence, put me in a direction, put me on a pathway that has led me to where I am today. You can imagine as a pastor, I've spent time with so many different types of people, all people made in the image of God that God loves, that God adores, that God gave God's life for, that God looks beyond our behavior and looks and longs for us to come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. And as I've spent time with people who have struggled with addiction, I've spent time who, uh, with people who are in prison for life. I've done uh, seasons of prison ministry. And one of the things that I've consistently heard from people is, I can't, I, I can't believe that I'm in the place where I am today. When I first began, I never thought that this is where I would end up. But I look back on my life and I realize that that little decision, that little taste, that little white lie, that little thing has led to a bigger and bigger thing that in many ways became this slippery slope. And now I'm in this place and I have no idea how I got here other than all those little decisions along the way. You might find yourself today thinking, how on earth did I get here? Well, it's a complex, complex, complex kaleidoscope of decisions that you've made 
decisions that have been made for you, a product of your environment, and the realities that we experience life. And it is not 100% on us. We are born into situations. We're born into systems. We're born into a vast and complex reality. And yet every single person has agency. And the nature of discernment is that the little steps, the little decisions, and I believe for Daniel... It has been a lifetime of little steps, of little decisions, of seeking God first, of spending time asking God for wisdom that caused Daniel, when faced with the the penalty of death, to naturally react to turn to God first and foremost. You see, what you practice and what you incorporate into the rhythm of your life, over time, becomes natural. And when you find yourselves in situations that are high stress, that are like fires, often what happens is that your your natural self, your, your muscle memory for how you've made decisions comes out. A lot of people have said that you really understand who you really are when you're encountering death. And Daniel, encountering death, his first reaction is to turn to God. But I believe it's because he took steps, steps, steps of trusting God, seeking God, following God that led him to that place. But this leads to the second point, the heart of the way. You know, on one hand, we might think, okay, there's two paths in life. I've heard you say, okay, maybe I believe that, maybe not. But I see in Scripture, okay, I see in this passage two paths, path of wisdom, the path of wickedness, How can I know? How can I decide? Where can I get the knowledge in order to choose the right way? And all throughout world history, around the globe, there's always been this great debate of what's the role of the mind? What's the role of the heart? What's the role of the will in decision-making? Are decisions made for us and we're just a product of our environment? Uh, Does God just set us in emotion like robots and we have no decisions? Or do we have to figure out in every moment how to make the right decision? In fact, there was this great debate uh, a millennia and a half ago between two great thinkers, Augustine and Pelagius. This is old school church history. And Pelagius said that we grow our character, we walk down the right path through the decisions that we make. And we need to train our mind to make the right decisions in every moment. And Augustine said, no, it's not a matter of the mind. It is a matter of the heart. And this is where he introduced the concept of right ordered loves. Augustine said that what you love informs your decisions And there's not a war between your mind and your heart. And it's not about, should I listen to my mind or should I listen to my heart? He had the view, and he argues it in Scripture, that in actual fact, every decision actually flows from the heart. And King Solomon actually mentions this in Proverbs chapter 4, when he says this, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. King Solomon is saying that there's a wellspring. There is a source, not a pool, not a puddle, 
Not a river, not a lake, not a sea, but a spring. A spring is something that it flows up, it bubbles up. And he says that there's something that flows up from what? From the heart. And Augustine and all of his studies came to this passage as many others. And he realized that the decisions that we make have to do with what we love the most. And in many ways, we covered this last week in the fires of social conformity, that what we behold, we become. What we love leads us. The thing that captures our heart, draws our attention, draws our mind, causes us to make decisions to be drawn towards it. And if we love being liked, then our mind will cause us to say things, to do things, to go down a path, ultimately that will cause our heart to feel loved and liked by all people. And Augustine said in this great debate with Pelagius that there's good things in life, things that God wants us to do, things that God wants us to love, things that God wants us to value. But if we have those disordered in our life, if they become more important than our love for God, not only is it idolatry, but it actually bends our heart down a path that leads to wickedness. And so there is the heart of the way that these two paths are a matter of the heart. And in a moment, I'll go talk about the path of righteousness, but the path of the wicked, it could be anything. It could be a heart that is about comfort, a heart that is about being in control, the heart about being needed, the heart about being right, the heart about being first, the heart about just having experiences that feel good. Whatever the heart loves, little baby steps will lead you down that path. And we live in a world that seems to say, you've got to change your mind. You've got to change behavior. And I see this sometimes in the Christian context where people have gone down a path that clearly isn't God's best. And there is this belief that if we just change your behavior, if we just change your mind, then you'll get on the right path. But it never works that way. It never works to say, stop doing it. It never works to say, that's not what God wants for you. Stop it. Don't, 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 don't. What needs to happen is a heart change, a change of love. Because again, it is your heart that is the wellspring of life. Everything flows out of your heart and the heart of the way. What you love the most leads you down a path. And this leads to the third point, the ever rising sun. There's this thing tucked away in Proverbs chapter 4 that talks about the path of righteousness in verse 18. And it's like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. And what's so fascinating is that this imagery of light runs throughout all of Scripture. But this imagery of light that runs throughout all of Scripture is contrasted with the complete opposite and it's this, verse 19, the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what they stumble over. And again, all throughout scripture, we see talk of light and talk of dark. 
And it seems like there's no greater contrast in the cosmos than light and the absence of light. And all throughout Scripture, it says that light is life. Light is associated with God. Light is associated with wisdom. And the absence of light, darkness, is associated with separation from God, is, is associated with wickedness, is associated with foolishness, is associated with the lack of knowledge. Now, what's so fascinating is that as we move throughout life, I believe that it's not that easy. That as we go throughout life, our decisions are not as clear as light and darkness. Because God's enemy works in the shadows. You've heard me say this before, that Satan is described in the New Testament as one who masquerades as an angel of light. And it seems like he doesn't try to convince us that the darkness is light. He convinces us that the shadows are real. Again, you've heard me say before, and I think it's worth repeating, that uh, the shadow of a car moves at the same speed down the freeway as the real thing. The shadow of a tree might bend in the wind. The shadow of a friend you might recognize as they walk up to you, but the truth is that you can't get into the shadow of a car and drive it. You can't lean up against the shadow of a tree and expect it to support your weight, and you can't hug the shadow of a friend, and yet... All throughout life, I believe that there are decisions that essentially are a decision, not between light and darkness, but between light and an object illuminated by light that casts a shadow. Because ultimately, every little step down the path that is described as the path of foolishness and of wickedness is simply the shadow, the counterfeit, the form of the real thing, of the true thing, of the good thing that God longs for us. You can trace this in every single way. I don't have time in this sermon to go through a whole bunch of things, but let's, let's, let's take a look at lust, for example. Lust, longing for someone, is actually the shadow of the real thing that God longs for us, which is love. And lust turns the other person into an object. It doesn't care about what they're thinking. It doesn't care about their day. You don't care about how you can serve them and encourage them and, and lift them up and to spur them on. They become simply something that you can consume. You become an appetite. And in doing so, it actually is the shadow version of a self-sacrificing mutually edifying, covenant form of love. And if you begin to take these small steps of lust to then want more and to long more, over time you can find yourself deep down a path of darkness where you can't sleep, where you are just an appetite, where you find yourself empty. And God so longs for you not just to change your mind to say that that's bad, but actually for your heart to change and to find a new love that is the right love, and that's the ever-rising sun. You see, Jesus, the Son of God, is also described as the light of all humankind. In fact, in John chapter 1, it says, in this world there was darkness, but the light has Come. We didn't have to go to it, but it came 
to us. And what's so fascinating is that Jesus, he constantly says, I am the light of the world. He doesn't say, I will show you the way to light. He says, I am the light that has come to you. He also doesn't say, I know the truth. Let me lead you to it. He says, I am the truth. He also doesn't say, I know the way to life and I'll show you the way. He says, I am the way. This remarkable reality, Jesus also says that I am the door and all who enter through me will be saved. Religion, if you could say it this way, is putting the road before the door. This is how I grew up, mistakenly thinking that I had to measure up. I had to make the right decisions. I had to get on the right path. I had to be good. I had to be righteous. I had to do the right thing, avoid the wrong thing, say the right thing, not say the wrong thing. And if I did that, I would get on the path, the straight and narrow path, and one day I would get through the pearly gates. St. Peter would meet me there, and I would get in. And that's not at all what Jesus says. He says, I am the door. I am the gate. I am the first step. And when you put your faith in me, when you turn to me first, first, and you step into a relationship with me, the sun, like the sunrise, like the dawn, begins to rise in your life. And the image here in Proverbs chapter 4 is that the path of the righteous is like the dawn that ever rises until it is bright as full day. There's a truth that when you begin to put your faith and trust in Jesus, you begin to walk down a path that isn't you, alone, making the right decision, but it's Christ in you, giving you wisdom, giving you knowledge, giving you guidance. And when you get off, there's forgiveness to bring you back on. That there is this sense that as you walk step by step, day by day, decision by decision, Jesus, the Son of God, will rise up in your life, will become the Lord of more and more of your life, that you begin to see that he's the Lord over not only your decisions as it relates to difficult moments, but it relates to your decisions as it relates to how you interact with other people, that he becomes the Lord of your life as it relates to all perspectives. Decision-making as it means to how you use your body, how you use your sexuality, how you shop, how you vote, that there's not this clear, easy path that is somehow just arbitrarily given that you can just do on your own. You actually have to walk with Jesus every single day. And I believe that Daniel was modeling that hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus because he was walking with his God. The dawn, the light of God's truth and love was rising up in his life as he walked and walked and walked and walked and walked and walked and, walked and it led to this moment and he knew in this complex situation, in the fire of discernment, I'm going to do what I've done before. I'm simply going to turn to God and ask for wisdom. And in that case, God revealed a mystery that God could not have revealed any other way lest Daniel first came to him. But I believe that there was other moments where Daniel turned to God and he didn't get that great download from God. And yet he was faithful to take one step at a time. The remarkable truth is that he survived the fire of discernment. And as he went through that fire, and as eventually, and you can read it later, as he goes to the king and he gives the king the interpretation, he doesn't go and he doesn't say, look at me, look what I've done. Save my life and kill all the other wise men. He says, 
No one could have revealed the truth of this dream unless it was God. He pointed directly that it was God who revealed it. And he actually said, not only spare me, but spare all the wise men in Babylon. There wasn't a moment that he moved through this where it became about him. He gave God all the glory, that God was the source of that knowledge. And this remarkable moment as we move throughout life, it should never puff us up with pride to make us think that we are better than anybody else, but we walk with humility and long for more and more people to join a faith and trust in the God of the Bible. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you as we consider this remarkable truth that you always meet us in the fires. As we've talked about each week, you physically met Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the physical fire. In the same way, you meet us in the fires that we face in life. And as we go through a life having to make complex decisions, may we turn to you first. And as we take each step with you along the way, may we experience more and more of your wisdom, your knowledge. Would you give us supernatural insight to understand the complex things of this world? Lead us, Jesus, every step of the way. It's in your name we pray. We say together, amen.